Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity and we're boosted by Humans First. And we have today Mike Vacanti, who's founder of the Humans First movement. And I'm really, really excited to be bringing another movement maker um, into the conversation today in Enrique Rovio, who is, if you don't know him, he's founder of the global hacking HR movement and spends a lot of time talking about HR tech and also the future of work. He's also a keynote speaker, and honestly, probably one of the most energetic human beings that somehow finds 45 hours in a day, um, <laughs> unlike most. So welcome to the podcast, Enrique. Thank you. I just haven't found the time yet to get a haircut, but uh, other than that, uh, I, I, try, <laughs> yeah, I try to maximize the, the hours as much as possible. Time is flying for everybody these days, actually. So uh, thank you for inviting me, Gary. And it's very, very good to be with Mike again with his heart tattooed on his nose. Sorry, Mike, I had to say, man, you, we were not going to be, I was not going to get off you, uh, get you off the hook, man. <laughs> so look, this, this yeah, right po- between the eyes, right between the eyes. <laughs> so this podcast, you can tell already, thanks for joining us, is going to be fun, but we can't let that go. We'll learn more about Enrique and the great work he's doing. But Mike, you've got to tell the audience what happened with the heart on your nose as we get going. Yeah, now I want to make it a much better story than it actually is. <laughs> you, can, you can. You can make it a fun story. <laughs> so, so it was, you know, very innocently, we were just having some fun around the, uh, the lake home of a, of a friend as I was moving my in-laws in northern Minnesota. And, and I was pushing this giant swing. It's a circular kind of woven swing, you know, rope swing. And I pushed it up over my head and it, it snapped back on me and, and hit me in the forehead and shaved uh, about a you know, quarter inch gap in my nose, um, which, which now is, is healing or scabbing in the shape of a heart. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to laugh at your pain, but it does look like a heart. So I think, you know, People say everything happens for a reason, right? That's probably, you know, you've been spreading love and now the world wants to tattoo, to tattoo the love on you. Yeah. I think <laughs> the uh, phrase underneath it on my chin bone then should be lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can we say? Probably the most fun we've had in an opening on a podcast on this platform. So thanks, Enrique. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Um, Enrique. I'd really, I'm really looking forward to this because I was really uh, grateful to actually join your colleague, Natasha, who's looking after the Mumbai chapter of uh, Hacking HR recently. And, she, and what a wonderful human being she is. Where did this, before we go into a bit more of your background, where did this passion for Hacking HR come from and how did you go about generating this incredible movement of heart makers uh, all around the world? Where did that come from for you? What was the inspiration? 
Yeah, well, I, I think throughout my career, one of the things that has been a sort of a connecting thread among all the things that I've done is this passion to bring people together. I did this in 2005 when I created an NGO to help uh, the poorest communities back in my birth country, Venezuela, uh, on, on leadership things and project management skills. And then a little thing that not a lot of people know about me, I, I was involved in politics back in my country. I ran for mayor. I lost, thankfully, because my country is, uh, you know, it's a, in a very bad situation right now. But I, I, and I did that not because of politics itself, but because I thought it was the best way to serve people. And I continue to think that politics is a great way to serve people if you do it in the right way. And, but all, all throughout my career, what I, what I have done is how can I utilize whatever I'm doing at the moment to serve others? I did it through my NGO, I did it in politics, and I'm doing it now in, uh, in Hacking HR. And to me, that, that, that's just a passion, you know, because I like, I like the fact that others, to, to lift others up, because that, that also helps me, you know, become better. So it's, uh, it's not, um, it is a combination of helping others while that also helps myself grow as a person, become a better human. And it's been an evolution for me, but, um, but I think it's all about helping people. And now the way I see it, of course, is that one of the best ways to help people progress and solve some of the most complex challenges that we have in the world today is through the building of community right it is it is by building community that we can uh, you know overcome very complex common challenges that we have right now everywhere in the world and and i do it in hacking hr because i it, when i put in a scale how important maybe different groups of people are i i think of course politicians have are number one in the most amount of impact on the most amount of people in the shortest period of time if you will then the second level is business leaders and to me the third level and this may be an over you know an overreach if you will but to me the third level is human resources because if you think about it every hr person in every organization has an impact on anywhere between 100 and 300 people so if we can create a better hr we are making 300 people's life better so the multiplying effect of creating a better hr is just so evident and we have missed it for such a long time that I said to myself, well, maybe this is an area where I can build community, I can serve others, we're also making a change in a function that can make a change in the greater uh, uh, you know, space of the workplace and society. So that's a little bit of what drives me. It's serving people, but also building community to do that. Enrique, I just I, that common thread of community just comes through so powerfully from the desire to lead a community as a mayor, to building the Hacking HR community. What, what's the origins of that for you? If you don't mind me asking, is there, is there been a, a sort of early stage sort of drive? Has there been an experience? Is it just innate within you? Has it just always been there? Well, the, for, you know, my role, my involvement in HR was not necessarily by, by accident. I, I'm an engineer actually. And I started, you know, my career, the first 10 years of my career were as an engineer. And I got fired from a company because I, you know, I was doing what I was doing in that company. And I was finding myself in a place where 
80% maybe of my creative capacities were being uh, underutilized in this company. So I said to myself, well, I need to keep this job because I need the money. I have all this debt and I have to help my family and whatnot. But I want to do something with these creative capacities. So I created a separate company doing something completely different from my main employer. And they found out about it and they got pretty upset at me and they fired me. So I was, I was really upset at that, of course, because there was no reason for them to fire me. But HR didn't do anything. And I was thinking, imagine if they do this to me. I am, I am a great performer in this company. I have done a lot of great things. And they know me well and they did this to me. Imagine what they do to people who need a little bit more help than I do. So I said, you know what, maybe it's time for me to do something different. Maybe, maybe I can get you know, into this field and, and make a little change. You know, I never envisioned anything like hacking HR. And I'm talking about you know, 12 years ago or something like that. So I got involved in hacking HR. In, in HR. I started working you know, in, in the HR field by doing consulting work and you know, doing my master's degree with a focus on HR. And uh, eventually I got to the point where I was in another job in HR, now not in engineering, but in HR. And I found myself in the very same place that I was 10 years before, meaning I am doing the work and I have all these creative capacities that are being underutilized by this company. And I said again to myself, I have to do something about this, right? Because it is not possible that we that people spend one third of their lifetimes at work and yet they are so disconnected, they are so disengaged, they are not finding meaning because ill design, if you will, ill, Ill organizational design because HR practices do not allow them to fully unleash their potential and their you know, talents. So I said to myself, I want to do something about this and I want to create a better HR. And that's how I created Hacking HR. So it was not necessarily by accident. It was by a negative experience that happened to me. And I believe, I believed back then, and I still believe now that HR has a tremendous potential to do amazing things. We're very far from having what we need to achieve that potential. But I think we, many people like you, Mike, you know, people in the, in the human first club community, people in the hacking nature community, we're all walking and working in that direction to build that HR that we know it's possible, but we're not there yet. We're, we're walking in that direction. So I don't know, Mike, if, if that's something that, that you see as well. Well, yeah, thanks for inviting me into that, Enrique. And, and I'll just say that I'm, you know, you know, and Gary knows, um, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and, and have been. And, and it's been a joy for the collaborations that we've shared together. So you've, you've had me out to Hacking HR events to speak, and that's been a wonderful experience. And you joined us at Humans First in, in San Diego and, and delivered really, really well. Um, and that was live broadcast um, over, over your uh, LinkedIn live. Um, but I, you know, I think of the change that you're, you're looking to make. And, and like Gary, I, I loved hearing the origins of, of how you stepped into that. But I'm seeing that impact that you're making with people in a big way. And I say people because the institutional shifts are the things that are lagging. Um, I believe you and those around you and um, us together in collaboration, the things that we're, we're sharing, the ethos that we're pushing for, for positive change and the emancipation of, of people to perform at their best is the right focus 
Um, you know, and you just named off three areas that you're most interested in. And it kind of brought a chuckle to me because, you know, I, I can't think of institutionally three groups of people that are sitting in more of a fixed mindset than politicians, mm -hmm. leaders, and HR. And so <laughs> it's like, you didn't, you didn't go after the, the soft the easy stuff, ones. Right? No, I know. <laughs> it's like, what are the most difficult people to change? These are these ones. Those are the ones that I want to work on. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love, Enrique, is you know you you've united a many many brilliant and caring, loving people all over the world that have then given of themselves um, with with that belief in 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 making that change. Yeah. Um, we bump up against barriers, and and that's where I think we can do so much more work together. By continuing to support um, that change, that evolution with groups of people. And it starts within each of us, right? And, and that ability to say, um, do I adhere and comply to the things as they are? Or do I actually step out with risk like you did when you became at risk at your job? Mm -hmm. um, doing something of passion and, and knowing you could create change. Will people let go of that fear and step into what's required? And, and I hear that so clearly in your voice, Enrique, when you say lift others, right? You and I both share that. And Gary and I have had those discussions recently about our responsibility to get out to the margins and create a path and a bridge for everybody to come back and forth yeah. as they yeah. see fit, yeah. right? Yeah. We need to reach out and, and get to everyone. And I hear that so strongly in what drives you and your message. And then certainly in the results that you've created with the fabulous organization of Hacking HR. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, Mike. And, you know, people always ask me, you know, how, how do you do to attract all these generous, kind, you know, loving people that come to speak at the events and whatnot. And, and you know what's funny is that that's not by design. It's not intentional. It's just, it's, it's the way it's happening. And I think we are, uh, I mean, I, I love that they are all involved in the hacking our community, but it's not that I, it's, it's what I think it's that people are now more willing to build better workplaces. They wanna build better workplaces. They want to create a better human resources because, you know, by creating a better human resource function, we create better workplace. So if we create better workplace, we create better societies. And, and I see, and I think more and more HR leaders, business leaders, individual practitioners are seeing how important their work is. People are more generally than not, they are frustrated at work. They are depressed. And especially with what's going on right now, but even you know, even before coronavirus, you know, I mean, disengagement was high, and frustration was high. Mental health, uh, you know, illnesses or issues at work were at an all-time high, and this is because people are overworked, they are exploited, and people want to people want to work. I love working, but it's it's, it's not doing 
something that doesn't add any value to you or to others or something that you don't find uh, you know, meaningful. So I think we are in the middle of all this radical uh, evolution slash revolution in humanity, in the workplace, where people want to work differently. And, you know, we have, we are, unfortunately, we are dragging a lot of uh, old ideas, such as people don't like to work, or they need the carrot or the stick kind of approach to, uh, to work. And that is a stupid, that is, the, that is a ridiculous idea. It was before, and it continues to be ridiculous today. Fortunately, today we have the data to show that it's a ridiculous idea to think that people don't like to work. People like to work, they just despise coming to work for somebody who is an asshole. Um, you know, they just despise coming to work every day to do the same thing and say, oh my God, I am just a small cog in the middle of all this machinery and I don't feel my value or my worth being taken into account in this organization. So all of those things have added up over time and, you know, we, we, we just arrived in a place where we are acknowledging that we can't continue operating in the same way. And I am loving the fact that many business leaders are saying we have to change. Let me give you one example that I just read this morning. Uh, Novartis, the pharmaceutical company. For, from 2001 to 2011, there was a whistleblower investigation of how, they were, how the company was paying doctors to prescribe their drugs. A whistleblower, after 10 years of investigation, finally the, the, the case uh, you know, got um, not only filed, but you know, uh, there are decisions made about it. And the new CEO of Novartis said, well, that is true, and we are changing that. We have a new leader leadership. This is a new company, and we're doing things differently, guided by ethics. So I'm using that, exa that exa example that just happened today, July you know, the 7th, because it is a great way to show that organizations are also changing. It may be slower than we want, but we arrived to the point where things are changing. And I'm hoping that, and I'm not hoping, I am sure that Humans First Club, Hacking HR are part of the, you know, the, the, the stakeholders in an ecosystem of, of many other protagonists making the right things for this change to happen. Enrique, I I could listen to you all day because your energy is just boundless and it's just <laughs> wonderful to experience. What, what, what I'd love to ask, if I may, like just to be, put a bit of a, a challenge out as well, because I've had this thought before, and again, feel free to challenge me. I really appreciate that. But there's been for a long time this identity crisis mm. within HR, as in like, yeah. we should be called this, or maybe we should be called that, or do we sit over here? And I'm just wondering in your experience, would you... I wonder sometimes if actually the HR label is part of the problem because people are doing great work in that sphere. And I've often had this thought that if we actually had HR as part of the business, not as a business partner, but actually in the business, commercially understand, like, would that help move away from this identity crisis? They could be doing similar jobs, still be doing great work, but get away from this sort of fear of being obsolete within a work system. And I know, and I'm just really intrigued, like feel free to challenge, build on that. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around that. No, that's, that's a great uh, question. And, you know, it's uh, the, 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 the title or, or the concept of HR, of course, awakes uh, a lot of mi mixed feelings. And there's research that shows that anywhere between 50 and 80%, depending on what research you're, you're looking at, anywhere between 50 and 80%, 
of the people do not trust HR. So we, we, we have a couple of options from, from the HR perspective to believe that that's true and do something about it or to continue to negate that that's a reality and continue to do things in the same way. Now, if we decide to go, which is the path that I chose, uh, believing that that is true, even when it, it's hurtful, you know, because it, it's, you know, it's like when somebody comes to you and say, I don't believe in what you do. I don't believe in your work. I don't believe in the function that you got involved. I don't believe in what HR people do. That's hurtful. I mean, I mean that, that, that generates pain. But if we come from a place of saying, you know what, why? What's going on? Oh, well, you know what? Because I got fired from the company because I decided to do something else that, that's, that didn't have anything to do with the company because I just had some time in my hands and I want to do something about it. And it was unfair that they fired me. Or like it happened, like it's happened over the past few years, you know, the Me Too movement, uh, you know, racial injustice and inequalities in the workplace. These are real problems. How many times women have come forward saying, that executive is sexually harassing me and HR didn't do anything. How many times do we have to look around to see that 80% of our workplace is white women or men, maybe you know, 50 years older, and we don't see diversity even though this country is 40 plus percent um, minorities, Asian Americans, Latinos, Black Americans. So these things are real. So if we come from a place of saying, you know what, what matters is not the name that we have, Yes, we can look back to all the, the mess-ups that we have done throughout our lifetime as HR. HR has been around for about 100 years, since 1910, 1920. Uh, you know, we can say, yeah, we can look back and, you know, like sort of whip ourselves because of all the things that we did in the past. But when we come from a place of acknowledging what is going on today and saying, I made mistakes in the past, now it's time to look forward and start correcting and fixing those mistakes, I think we're going to be in a much better place than just changing our name from HR to people operations or to people experience or to whatever name we want to change it. I lived in Washington, D.C. for a number of years. And for anybody who's been in Washington, D.C., there's um, uh, on Connecticut Avenue where you're crossing uh, near Woodley Park, there is an old building that when you look you look at the building from the front, there was only the facade of the building. They, they tear down everything behind the building. They only wanted to keep the facade because uh, they, they, they were gonna build something different in, in the back by keeping that facade. So you look, you look at it from the front and then you say, well, you know, maybe they are painting the facade, they are changing a couple of things, but there's nothing, you know, no substance uh, behind it. And I think that's what could happen if we only change the name of a chart to something else and we don't do work in the background. It doesn't matter if the facade is changing or if you're painting it or if you're you know, fixing some of the holes on the walls, if you don't have any substance, if there's no foundation or cornerstone of the work that we do. So to me, yes, we can change the name and I love the, I love the name of people operations. I love chief people officers titles, uh, employee experience. I love all those things and I'm, and I'm an advocate of updating whatever we need to update but if it's only that and we don't change what's behind it what's you know supporting you know those changes i, I don't think we're doing much um so to me it is better to acknowledge our shortcomings to acknowledge the mistakes we have done in the past and then say we gotta change and in the direction of change if changing the name of what we do or, or what we are makes sense 
then we're gonna do it. If that creates a better environment, maybe there's a company where HR has such a bad rap that you definitely need to change the name of HR, that's okay. But you also have to acknowledge the shortcomings and work on the foundation of the issues that you're dealing with and not just in the facade because otherwise we're not doing anything. Mike, I wanna, I wanna bring you in here because Enrique, you just spoke straight to my heart as well from the other challenges, yeah? What you just described around the HR identity conversation is the same thing I've dealt with around race, yeah? It's the whole, like, you, actually, have I just had the facade of acknowledging something but not changing my views or doing the work? Mm. Or do I actually do the work and try to understand and empathize and build forward? And I think there's such a wonderful parallel between that intentionality to actually learn, grow, and change. And the guess is staying static. And I just thought it's a wonderful metaphor there, Mike. I'll, I'll bring you in. Yeah, it is a wonderful metaphor. And, and you know, certainly the, the work that's done inside is the real work, right? So I, I love that, you know, taking a look at the facade. I think that's a beautiful metaphor with that. Um, changing our minds and how we speak about things, that's, that's kind of the easy part although we have to get our minds right, but then it's putting it to, to work and putting it to action. And, and, you know, Enrique and I have had a couple of these conversations and, and honestly, Gary, I expected Enrique to come back and say, you know, I, I, I used to uh, enjoy our conversations and I don't anymore because when I threw out some of those challenges, I was expecting Enrique to come back and say, I need to keep you as far away from, from my audience as possible because I don't agree with those things. But in fact, we do agree on a lot of things, and that's that, you know, what HR stops doing is much more important than what they do next. Yeah. And Enrique talks about, you know, the mistakes of the past. I don't really know if there are mistakes, but they were the right decisions at the time, and times have changed. Yeah. And um, when I look at the big influences in HR, um, it's still the... Um, academia is yeah. driving too much of the thinking and the real work is where Enrique puts the work and where the people that are involved in hacking HR and humans first put the work and that's with other human beings that's where it needs to get done um, I think there's an overemphasis on technology yeah. so HR and in, in many cases has become a really um, expensive procurement group they're just buying new tools to do the same old things and there's no real change in how do we identify and select people that's why dei has failed so poorly over a long time because we change our mind saying yes more diversity would be good and we put up the the facade of i've hired a person now with that responsibility but we haven't changed anything inside the organization about our practices. And those are human issues. They're harder to tackle. Um, and I think that, you know, when we get into the race situation right now, it points to, I believe, a great opportunity. And that's to finally open up true learning and development for every person in the company. And that is not the prescriptive, we hired you for um, this job that you're an expert at, and now we're going to 
spend our time and money training you on those same tasks that you're already an expert at. Mm -hmm. And what we'd like you to do is go fill out as a human being, go learn things that you don't know, go challenge yourself on, on your ability to become an anti-racist and become an advocate for others in the organization. Those are the challenges that will help people grow. Those are the challenges that I think people will find fulfillment in rather than saying, you know, we're going to send you for another certification. So you get, you know, some accreditation after your name and, and um, you know, we're just going to keep wasting money spinning the same cycles. Let's do something new and bold mm -hmm. and, empowering for people you, you just ran my mind mike about the uh, certification i want to say something about that <laughs> um yeah and and uh, you, you know it's uh you you said before well first of all being an anti-racist having empathy being a decent human being forget about everything else being a decent human being that's not taught in any book of hr you don't find it in any book of hr Wait a second. Yes, you have to enforce the policy. You have to comply with the state, local, and government regulations. But, but above all of that is human decency, right? You got to treat others with respect. You got to treat others with decency. You got to guide yourself with ethics. And for a lot of these certifications and you know learning programs and whatever it is, it all comes down to what the law or the policy says. Yes, you have, to be, you have to be ethical, and this is what the ethics handbook says. And it's a 200-page handbook that nobody ever reads, right? I think there's something bigger and greater than that that is being a decent human being. And you also said, Mike, that, you know, whether it is mistakes that we made in the past or the way things were done in the past that made sense for that time, I think that is, that is very important that you mentioned that because the, one of the problems that HR has is that somehow, and I, I don't want to point any fingers, but I think you know, we may be able to uh, you know, intuitively do that. Uh, there have been big organizations trying to tell HR people that their worth is equivalent to three letters of a certification next to their names. And, that, and they have done that for years, years, long, long, long time. And we're not in 1940 anymore, you know, in the middle of the third industrial revolution. We're not in the 1974 industrial revolution. We are in a human revolution right now that is so unique because it's so, you know, it's lived and, and, and breathed so differently everywhere that it's difficult to put these things in a book. However, these organizations that may have made sense back then continue to tell people that their worth comes because they have a certification that tells them you are a good HR professional. And maybe you are the most unethical person in the world, but because you have the paper, you are a good HR professional. Or the flip side of that is you may not have the paper, but maybe you are the best listener in your organization, the most uh, inclusive and, 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 and anti-racist fighter in the organization, and you don't have the piece of paper, but you're probably way more um, valuable as, a, as, a, as an HR professional than the one that may not be guided by ethics, but has the piece of paper. So this to me is important because I think we are in a moment of truth in, a, uh, uh, in HR when we have to acknowledge that 
the, the pieces of paper that we earn by memorizing facts from a book are not enough anymore. And I'm not saying that that's wrong to have. Whoever wants to get a certification, go for it. You know, we give credit for those things. But what I'm saying is that's not enough. And if you somehow boil down your worth as a nature professional, because you have that piece of paper, you're making yourself a gigantic disservice individually and to your organization. That, that to me, and I don't want to be, you know, waging war again against any big organization. It's just that we must move on from the piece of paper into the real work. Those books that you have to memorize to earn that piece of paper that tells you that you are a professional in human resources, those books represent maybe 5% of the work that you really end up doing in your organization. And 5% if you go textually, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, it, if it happens like it's in the book, but it never happens that way. You know what I love about that so much, Enrique, is what you just described about, you know, developing the, the whole humans and looking at the, the ethics and being able to um, value and put the emphasis on who is the best human being. And, and becoming, you know, the best version of yourself. Yeah. What's beautiful about that is it starts to address that, you know, the second layer of the three layers that you said at the beginning, right? So, um, you know, politics, leaders, and, and HR, right? Because as soon as we identify who those great human beings are in our organization, those are the people we choose and put into leadership. Mm -hmm. you, you said it before, I'll just say it a little bit differently is, you know, if we want better leadership, stop promoting the assholes. Yeah. And this gives us a clear identification of who are the people that we really do want others um, um, embodying and, and um, following yeah. and learning. Yeah. Mike, you and uh, Gary, you brought it too. How many women do we know in, in our you know, circles of friends and, and acquaintances that were told you can't be promoted because, well, you have, a, you have kids. Maybe they weren't told that way, but you have kids and we don't think you're gonna be putting that much time into work because you have to take care of family. Now, of course, because of all that's happening with coronavirus, people are working from home. This, and I'm saying women because they are target, the target of this kind of um, discrimination more often than men. Uh, and now these women are taking care of family, taking care of home, taking care of homeschooling, taking care of all things, plus doing work and doing it well. These are the greatest humans at, at work, but the asshole that speaks the loudest at work, the asshole that you know produces the most amount of output at whatever cost when it comes to humans emotion, human emotions in the workplace, that's the one that has been promoted. Uh, more, more often than not. And, and, and I think that once again, you know, we came to a place where we acknowledge that these things cannot, they are happening. So we became aware that these things are happening. And now I think we are in an extraordinary moment to say, now we are aware that these things have happened and continue to happen. We got to move on, move on. Like Gary said before, we got to move on to action. And action means we got to promote the decent, good humans that we have in this, uh, in this uh, workplace to become the leaders of these organizations, the people who, you know, who care 
about the sustainability and the profitability and the longevity of the organization, but not at any cost. But they care about the humans that are making that happen. Happier humans, humans that find meaning at work, humans that are allowed and encouraged and coach and mentor to unleash their power and their talents, those are the ones that are gonna create the best organization in the world, not the other way around. We don't try to create the best organization by pushing people into a, into a box. We break the box and then we let them, you know, help us achieve that goal of making whatever organization the best in the world. So I think we are, I mean, we're talking about so many different things here, but there's, you know, we are in the middle of this revolution of, uh, uh, in the workplace. And, um, you know, I don't know how it's gonna look like in six months from now, one year from now, but I think all that we're going through, all these conversations need to happen and we need to come, uh, you know, Gary, you said something before, um, I, I, I call the concept, I call it being radically open-minded. You know, people who are open-minded, you know, if I have an idea and you have an idea and you come to me with your idea and your idea is aligned with my system of values and beliefs and dogmas and assumptions about the world, maybe you're, I can say, okay, we're going to go with your idea because your idea is better than mine, but it still aligns with my system of thinking, right? That's being open-minded. Now, we become radically open-minded when you come with an idea that challenges and contradicts the very things that I believe, and yet I say, you know what? I was wrong about these things. And now i got to update and evolve in my system of beliefs, dogmas, and assumptions about the world because what you are saying is so true and so relevant that I have to change, you know? And, and I think we need more of those conversations that create this awareness and we need more people to be radically open-minded to say, wow, you know, I never, uh, you know, I, I, people saying right now, you know, I thought I wasn't uh, racist, but that was not enough. Now I have to be anti-racist. So I got to be open-minded to say, to change my system of beliefs to now start working in that direction. So all of these pieces are, are fantastic in the, in the, what's going on today at work. Gary, I think about, you know, all that you've taught me and many of us, in really understanding and opening up the the uh, the feminine energy, right? And that's another thing. It's like as soon as you say, you know, what do you mean a, a man with feminine energy? You know, that's you know what is that? And what Enrique was speaking to is when we really honor um, that ability in people. And we see it in women that are, you know, handling all those different responsibilities and producing well in all those arenas. You know, we talk about the balance and the, and the female energy and all of us opening up to that. Um, and I, I, you know, I think you've done some really groundbreaking work in, in bringing that forward. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, but, but uh, do you know something? The thing I'm most, I want to come back to the point as we're, we're going to start wrapping up. Enrique, you spoke so beautifully to that that worth piece. And I just, want to, I just want to pinpoint on that for our listeners for a moment. If we're tying our self-worth to something outside of us, i.e. that accreditation or that job title or that promotion, we will never ever be happy intrinsically. No. It's physically impossible. Would you challenge that or would you build on that, Enrico? You know what? I... I, I want to use an analogy f for that as well, or, or yeah, an, an analogy. And it's, it's when you have influencers at work that do not sit in positions of power. Um, 
it's not the same thing, but it's, you know, I want to use it as an analogy because for, for a lot of these people, influencing others at work brings happiness to them and it brings joy and it increases their worth as an individual, whether they sit in a position of power or not. Now, there are some people sitting in positions of power that do not help others in any way. I've gone through this experience, somebody telling me, I'm the boss, you have to, tell, you have to do what, I, what I'm telling you to do. And I'm like, hell no. I mean, you can instruct me to achieve some goals. You're not going to tell me how, what to do, let alone what to do outside of the company. That's, that's something that you don't have any right to do. And, and I went through this experience, and I'm saying this because people who are in those positions of power are to me the equivalent of those who think that their worth only comes by having something that shows that they are worthy and not by living, perhaps, or becoming the worth that they say they, they are. So those are different things. I can have the piece of paper and, be, and behave like a true uh, you know, asshole at work, and I have the piece of paper saying I am a certified blah blah blah, but I treat people like shit. And I'm sorry if you, you I don't know if I can use these words, you know, in the podcast. I hope so. Uh, but I have the piece of paper. Now there's somebody else who doesn't have the piece of paper, and it's the person that everybody comes to when they have a problem, when they want to be listened to, when they want to get some ideas and whatnot. So this is just one example of why I believe that the piece of paper, in, I have a lot of certifications. I don't put any of them next to my, I, have, I had a couple of them next to my names and I took them out because I'm like, that's not my worth. You know, I, I don't want to be known by the guy who has a PMP, CSM, HR certification. I don't want to be known by that. I want to be known by the guy who is building a community, who is bringing people together, who is lifting others up. I don't want to be known by those letters. And I, I'm hoping that HR people see it in a, in a similar way going forward. I hope that they are known, you know, like at work, if you have a problem at work, Gary, and, you know, somebody's harassing you, whether in whatever ways, you won't come to Mike because, well, I'm going to go to Mike because Mike has these three letters next to his name. You're going to come to Mike because you know that Mike will listen to you and you know, you know what, Mike, you know, you don't think like, let me see who is the one with the three letters. You think like, let me see who is the one who can help me the most who will listen to me, who is the problem solver, who is the empathetic person in this organization. To hell with those letters, right? That's, that's what you wanna get when you have a problem at work. I don't think anybody in any organization gives a damn about those letters. So what I'm encouraging you know, your listeners in the podcast is just think about your worth and how you deliver value to others, how you lift others up what you want to be known for. If you ever leave that organization in one year from now, when you ask your colleagues, what do, you, what do they miss the most out of you? They won't say the three letters. They will say, you know what? I miss that you listen to me and I don't, I don't have that right now. I miss that you were the problem solver and I need that problem solving skills right now. So that's, that's what I think matters the most. And that to me is what truly brings out the energy to continue to be engaged and empowered to do more of that. Enrique, like I'm literally, like I feel like I have my battery charged in the last 45 minutes. <laughs> I feel really selfish. Um, but honestly, you're an incredible human being and I, I'd like um, give, give Mike a word and then your, yourself the final word, but I do have one more question before you have to leave us today. What have you learned, uh, what have you learned about yourself, Enrique, that surprised you throughout building this hate, hacking HR community? What surprised you the most about yourself? That I am such an imperfect person. Um, yeah, 
you know, recently I went through the experience of being this close to reacting to somebody's email that I didn't read all through. I just read the first few paragraphs and I was so upset. And I was just this close to responding aggressively to that email. And this happened three or four weeks ago. And I said, you know what? This was a night. Let me, let me uh, sleep over it and, and respond in the morning. When I went through the entire email, I read the last paragraph and the person who wrote me the email said, I apologize if this is not the way things you were trying to do. I am autistic and maybe I'm perceiving things differently than anybody else. Wow, that was such a, not only a wake up call for me, it was a, an affirmation that I continue to be imperfect, that I was going to respond aggressively and that I have so many things to learn and so many things to do differently and change. And, you know, not always do I react the same way. You know, sometimes I do respond, you know, something that I should, should not respond in one way and I apologize and, you know, shouldn't have done it from the, you know, in the first place. But I think to me, all that I learned from listening to so many hundreds of people from, you know, different stories. And that's what happens to me in Hacking HR. I, you know, hundreds of stories all the time. They help me acknowledge my, my shortcomings, my pitfalls, my imperfections and say, I got to work on this. I got to work on that. I need to improve this. I need to improve that. And that help, keeps me going because I know that I can be tomorrow and in an hour from now, I'm going to be better than I am right now. And that, that, that really is, um, is empowering, I, I, I think. Mike, I just want to hear from you. Like, I want to keep going for another hour, but I just want people to click <laughs> in to what Enrique just role modeled because it is this podcast. The vulnerability, not to have all the answers, and the growth spurt that can come by stepping into that vulnerability. I just think you role modeled those two things brilliant in that example, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much I've learned since the days I knew everything. Um, <laughs> and and those, um, those of you that, that take that journey and really go discover um, your self-worth and step into that for the benefit of others, um, what I would like to offer everybody is, is I will give you a free nose heart tattoo like I'm sporting today. <laughs> it, it's on me. Just send it in and I'm happy to share. Awesome. Enrique, what would you like to leave? And I'd also want to just hold space just for a second. If you've listened to this, you will do. Many of you will be HR, um, working in HR, part of HR communities, maybe part of Humans First. Please understand that this was not a HR bashing. This is an exploration of what HR could be. There's so many amazing people working in HR. We are talking about systemic conversations here. It's not about you. And I just wanted to leave that moment there because it could feel if someone listens in with that three letters at the side of their name going, oh my God, these three people have assassinated the job I do. I just want to hold space for a second and say, this is not about you personally. This is about the systems that surround that role historically and maybe what we can co-create going better. I just want to maybe invite, I just thought it was important to hold that for for those that might, might be listening in. I love that, Gary. Can I just jump on that for a little bit? Because Enrique knows this. As I said, we've had some really, you know, deep and and, and strong conversations. And we speak to the the industry of HR, not those people that are operating and yeah. performing in HR, because we know some of the most loving, caring, gifted, and giving people, you know, on the planet that are involved in in these things. Um, it's the industry and the role, not the people. Yeah.
Anything else for you to add, Enrique, before we get your details, how people can find you? No, I think that's, um, th thank you for mentioning that. I think a, a lot of HR people are doing, you know, the best that they can do. And, and I think it's just a system of things that we have to change, right? It's, it's systemic change, right? It's, it's like when people say, well, there's no racism because I'm not a racist. I mean, that's, that's, that's not enough to say that there's no racism, right? It's, it's not enough to say HR is awesome because I do an awesome work. I mean, you know, kudos to those who are individually doing an awesome work, but we got to do a lot of systemic change. And um, it's going to take some time, but I think we're working in the right direction. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you both for joining me today. Enrique, how can people find you? Because, well, most people probably know how to find you, but you never know. We might find a few people underneath a stone <laughs> on the beach here that haven't found you yet. <laughs> and they can just go to my LinkedIn profile, Enrique Rubio, or they can just email me, Enrique at hackinghr.io. I'm always around, always responsive, and uh, uh, you know, uh, always willing to hear stories and, and talk to people. I love, I love growing from other people, other people's uh, you know ideas, stories, experiences. So that's that. That's amazing. But hang on, I've just seen we've got two minutes left, Mike. I need to ask about the vegan ultra running. Like, <laughs> with running, seeing are there any events coming up? Thank you for going there, Gary. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I am a vegan ultra runner. I'm, I'm a, I've been 10 years a vegan. I am seven years an ultra runner. And, and as you can see in the background, I am an outdoor junkie. And um, I, 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 it's funny because most of my, my, my energy is drawn from spending time in the outdoors. And I usually do that by myself. But 99.9% of the time, I spend hours and hours running in the mountains by myself. And, and that helps me reconnect with myself with my thoughts you know away from you know noise or or you know the problems of the world and whatnot and that's when i get the most creative actually you know a lot of the ideas that i put together with hacking guitar they were born in one of those runs out in the in the mountains so uh i love that and what's funny is Enrique will stop um, at the top of a mountain and say, I'm 42 miles into my run. Yeah. <laughs> making a video. And then he takes off and I, I go take a nap for you, Enrique. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both so much. Have a great Thank you, Mike. afternoon, both. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Hi there, Gary Turner, just wrapping up this really, really interesting and challenging in parts, but also super forward-looking uh, conversation with Hacking HR founder Enrique Rubio. I would love to hear what you took away. If you would be kind enough to send me an email, um, Gary, G-A-R-R-Y, at Gary Turner, one word, dot life. That's G-A-R-R-Y, Turner, dot life. Just wanted to share a couple of the key reflections with you um, that really, really struck a chord with me personally. And it's when uh, Enrique shared that I got fired from a company, I was finding myself in a place where 80% maybe of my creative capacity was being underutilized in this company. I created a separate company doing something completely different from my main employer. They found out about it, got upset with me and fired me. HR didn't do anything. There is so much to unpick and unpack in that scenario. And the thing for me that just screams out is 
We've designed work for so long now that people are squeezed into narrow tight job descriptions and that any other wholeness or any other fulfillment that that human being brings into the workplace is so often discounted or not of any interest to leaders within the organisation as it's seen as, as distraction rather than, as I find with my own um, work, um, where I work full-time in, in international sales, you know, I spend the right amount of time ensuring that we hit the numbers and that we drive the day job that needs to be done. But then outside of that, I'm looking at you know, developing this podcast, helping other people, speaking about how we try and make work more human. And I think, you know, that, just think about those Gallup engagement statistics. You know, there has to be a link between the chronic disengagement of so many people in the workplace uh, globally and this lack of ability for so many to unleash their full humanity. You know, there are other gifts, there are other wishes, there are other desires. And I just think there's something very significant in this story that Enrique shared. And I also think one of the really powerful and hopeful elements of this conversation today is when Enrique shared that if you think about it, every HR person in every organisation has an impact on anywhere between one and 300 people. So if we can create a better HR, we are making 300 lives better. The multiplier effect of creating a better HR is so evident. And I just want to reiterate the point I made towards the end of the podcast. You know, this is, it's, it's not about individuals, it's about the function. And there's so many brilliant people that I know that work in HR. But how do we try and help unleash even more of their gifts? How do we make sure that those people are actually involved in helping design organisations that are inclusive? that truly allow everybody to be seen and to be heard because those that work within HR, I think it's, it has a critical opportunity. You know, it sees and senses the whole organisation or should do, unlike any other part of the business. You know, there's no other part of the business that senses and feels what's going on with people as well as the link to the business, you know, even more so than the CEO and C-suite, I would assert. So, yeah, really exciting, hopeful, but also a constructive call to action and challenge from Enrique as to how do we all step up more fully and how do we challenge the status quo um, constructively and finally it's really interesting hearing Enrique say that I believe back then and he still believes now that HR has tremendous potential to do amazing things we're far away from having what we need to achieve that potential however which just links to to my previous comment so really hopeful really positive constructive challenge and we'd love to hear from you what comes up for you. What would you add? What would you challenge back? What's, what's your thinking? You know, what are you coming up with? What are your ideas that maybe others are not hearing about right now in terms of how we intentionally make our organisations more inclusive? And how do we all individually and collectively ensure that we also dive into the, the conversation around racism in work and also in society? I think it's so important that, you know, we've, I think a lot of us, including myself, have had a rude awakening to the severity of the problem. And uh, as this goes out, um, you know, there's been a, an incredible uh, speech by um, AOC in the US calling out one of her congressmen peers. Um, really, really incredible, shocking, saddening, but a reality check as to the fact it isn't just in the police um, service it, that we have problems with racism, systemic racism. It goes really, uh, really to the top of many organisations and structures. So let's stay curious. Uh, you can find out more about the human conversations that Mike Vacanti, Humans First founder, 
and I are hosting. We'd love to have you involved if you're curious. And of course, do, uh, do look out for the Equip um, mobile first technology as well, which is also a really helpful aid to trying to, dr to drive forward not only the inclusion agenda, but also really unleash those gifts, you know, that creativity that Enrico was so frustrated that he could not unleash. That technology certainly has one way to help you do that. So take care for now. Hope to hear from you and have a fantastic week ahead. Um, and good evening, good morning, or good night, depending wherever you are. Take care. Really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. You can find out much more about HexoChange at hexochangenow.com. That's H-E-X-O-Change-Now, one word, dot com. You can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website, which includes information about live stream conversations, further service offerings, blogs, but also our in-person events, of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner, on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.